Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Ian Smith, Deputy Companies Editor. How are you doing, Ian? Fine. How are you doing, John? Not too bad. Mark Robinson? Hello, John. Yeah, I didn't give you a title there. Well, I don't need a title. No, you don't, do you? I'm happy in my own skin. Good. Uh, over in the control room, Graham Davis. How are you doing, Graham? Very well, John. You? Yeah, good. And uh, Dominic Toms, how are you doing, Dom? Yeah, I'm doing well. Good, good. Okay, it's been a quiet week, hasn't it? There's nothing really to talk about no. this week. Should we just all nothing. go home, pack up? Mm. That's it. Actually, no, it's been an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yep. Uh, so what we got going on, uh, Graham? Let's uh, let's talk uh, the world at large. The world start. at large. Crikey. Where do we start, John? Um, let's start close-ish to home with Greece. Um, right. That's still going on, rumbling away. Um, we, we, we're sat here on Thursday afternoon, apparently by 10 o'clock tonight, Greece has to come up with some proposals once more i'm sure they've said this i know they've had deadline after deadline after deadline but there is a full eu summit scheduled for sunday so if they don't sort something out very soon you know they're out of cash Um, aren't we having an intervention by the kremlin here oh well yeah possibly well they're going to give them some money um for uh energy there's a deal being struck according to the ft uh, a two billion gas deal with Russia. So, yeah, there is a there is there's a, this theory that that the Russians are sort of cozying up to Greece, and the 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 Americans are not happy about this. Is why they're putting pressure on the EU to keep Greece within the club, as it were. Yeah, because but they don't want this Russian influence spreading into the Eastern Med. But it's a kind of strategic crossroads into yeah. into Europe uh, and uh, Asia. So absolutely, it's the most amazing um, game of political brinkmanship, isn't it? Really, you know, the Greek new Greek finance minister turning up. Um, to negotiations with no fresh proposals a couple yeah. of days ago. Apparently he had a couple of things scribbled down on his hotel notepad. You <laughs> <laughs> would have thought, yeah, should have, mine should have been focused by this point, shouldn't his, it? His, his preparations for the biggest uh, <laughs> European summit in years are, 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 are less than my preparations for this podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it, I mean, it is interesting. Um, I mean, it, you know, it, it is kind of bizarre, the brinkmanship... Yeah, that's taking place is is odd and it's it never and, and, and it is never ending. So it's not really brinksmanship <laughs> in the true sense of the word. Um, but with, I mean, uh, it, they may well finally be on the brink. But it's it, like a, I just don't believe it. No, I'm I know, sorry. But, uh, it's like a game of chicken, you know, like two tr- cars mm. driving straight at each other. Even if you pull out at the last minute, you may still crash. That's mm. what I think about it. It's true. Yeah. We're leaving it so late. We said a few weeks ago we weren't going to talk about Greece anymore. Then when we were forced to talk about Greece. And then a couple of weeks ago we said we'll probably still be talking about this at Christmas. We might. Yeah, but I th- and I think we're back to that point where it's something that we can just kind of ignore a little bit for yeah, a while well, because hey. I think it's just going to rumble on. Well, um, I think the European ministers must be getting the right hump because I'd imagine they prefer to be on their summer holidays, right? I'm there. sure they would. They like a good long summer holiday. But um, I mean, they, 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 it has gone a bit quiet this week. The, the sort of market news has, has shifted further east. Yeah, China. 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 And that is properly terrifying. I wrote about this in my editorial, <laughs> mm. and I genuinely think this is terrifying. I mean, uh, not since 2000 and the dot-com crash have we seen anything, anything like it. Yeah. And the dot-com crash, to my mind, looks like a you know a minor blip in comparison. This is insane what's mm. going on out there. But you'll be pleased to know, John, that this today, on Thursday, uh, the Shanghai Index had its best single day for since 2009. How about that? Yeah, but, yeah, the, but yeah. they're only trading four stocks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, only four but, stocks. Is it four? <laughs> no, about half the market is suspended. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's nuts. It's not, it's not it's a nuts. proper so, market. So, I mean, there's a technical reason why they're suspended. It's, it's to do with the level of... 
over which they've fallen. Yeah, if they if they move more than ten percent in in short order, then then they, it's an automatic suspension. To try it's and, automatic. Yeah, yeah. But also, companies can request suspension as well if they think that the vol- trading in their shares is, is volatile. Well, I'd heard that a lot of these been. suspensions were the result of company management requesting suspension. Exactly, and who knows who's requested that the management request that suspension as well john because the government intervention here is 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 serious and significant the government, yeah. it, government fingers are all over this this bounce in the market today i mean and this to my mind is the worrying thing so mm. so they've uh they've banned selling of shares by uh anyone, so anyone who owns any large organization yeah. any large state-backed organization that owns shares um they've increased the margin uh availability of the brokerages they've backstopped some of the brokerages with cash i mean yeah, you know they're doing everything they can to prop this yeah. up yeah, and, and now they've said that directors, executives, and any significant shareholders of companies are not allowed to sell shares for 12 months. Yeah, so the market's down 30% over the course of about five days, I think it was. Mm. Pretty much half the market suspended. Uh, we've had a bounce today. Dead cat bounce. Haven't heard that for a while. No, this could well be one of those. Proper dead cat bounce. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my view is that when, you know, uh, regulation... Regulation is a good thing. Yes. Okay, markets need regulation, but this is not regulation. This, this is, is intervention. This is intervention. And, you know, it could, to my mind, make it much, much worse. Uh, wasn't it ever thus, though, when you look at the uh, trading restrictions in place in China at the moment? Only this year we've seen a supposed uh, liberalisation of the market. So they're allowing um, investors, say, from Hong Kong and Western Europe to invest in Chinese Shanghai equities for the first time. And even then it was restricted. And, and now it turns out that uh, if the market you know, is too volatile, then they'll, they'll snap off any access to the markets. And a lot of this problem is linked to the fact that retail investors in China have got no access to any other options. You know, now that there's uh, strictures on the real estate market there, low interest rates, it's little wonder that uh, managed money in the West have been trying to get in there for years. And it may, you know, who knows, it may actually precipitate that, that move as well. So, so you've written about this in your column. Uh, yeah, what it's this week, but I mean, which is not really a commodity story. It's not a commodity story, but obviously it has a direct impact on commodity prices because of uh, you know China being the, the the swing buyer in so many metals. Yeah, and they have been whacked, haven't they? Oh yeah, totally. You know, totally. I mean, there was uh, you got to remember copper as well is is used as a uh, loan collateral. Loan collateral, and so you know when there's any sort of um, worries over Chinese uh, the financial markets into country borrowings, then that obviously people worry that suddenly. People pull out of leverage positions and then you'll get a flood of copper onto the market. And so in two trading sessions, I think the price went down by 8.6%, which is extraordinary, really. Yeah, so the UK UK listed miners have had a bit of a hard time for the past few days as well. As yeah, as well. yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the sentiment wasn't uh, great to begin with, but uh, obviously this is, uh, you know, exacerbated matters. I mean, yeah. I, I, iron ore fell 10% in a day. Well, yeah, Wednesday. that's true. Well, I, I think it's down at its lowest price since... Um, 2009. Yeah, I mean, that's working. It wasn't that long ago that it was trading at about $140 a ton, and now it's below. What did you say? It's just over 40. It's just over 40 now, so. uh, $40 a ton. Yeah. Excellent. Will that pay for the steel for my uh, loft conversion? That's well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's below its long term average, so you you might want to get in now. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, you know, I look at this situation, and there there is a view that you know we shouldn't worry about it too much. It's you know, it's uh, it's not going to have any uh, repercussions in terms of the Chinese economy. Mm. Um, I'm not sure I share that view. What do you think? No, well, eighty percent of the market is represented by by retail investors. I mean, that's that's a big concern in itself because people have been moving the money out of property into equity, yep. equities to try and 
uh, you know generate more returns i mean i was watching a piece on on the news last night about um a, a lady a young young mother who had invested her entire savings she was a button seller would you believe she'd invested her entire savings in the stock market two months ago they were now worth half what they were then. I mean, mm. you know, these are normal people on the street who have gone in with not much, a great deal of uh, of knowledge, just chasing the boom. And you know that that you can't help but affect the, the wider economy. Yeah, I because know. I guess they. I mean, the big move in China that the government would like to see happen is a shift from a an industrial led investment in infrastructure to a consumer led economic story. Well, exactly. And yeah. that, and if people have had their savings wiped out by a stock market crash, they're not going to be feeling particularly flush. No. Well, exactly. And, and this is part of the problem as well. This transition has sort of had an effect on corporate earnings for uh, uh, tertiary and primary industries in China. And it's worries over corporate earnings, which, which has basically undermined sentiment towards China in recent times. And it becomes a sort of an unvirtuous circle after a while. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't sound good to me. And, you know, my view would be that the backstopping has exacerbated by the government, by mm. the regulators, has exacerbated the situation, made everyone very nervous. And, and now, actually, you're, you've got a situation where you are unable to sell shares if you own them. And when you finally are able to sell shares, you'll sell them. Yeah. And so what it's all, all it's doing is creating an enormous overhang. The this is going to get worse. Yeah, the ultimate fallout of this could be horrible. And no wonder the MSCI has delayed the um, admission of Chinese equities into its MSCI World Index. That was a couple of weeks back. I mean, yeah. that was before this really started to yeah, hit the fan, as it exactly were. Right. And don't forget as well that a lot of these uh, are leveraged positions as well. Sure, there's there's a high level of personal savings in China, but a lot of these are leveraged positions, which sort of mirrors the 1929 crash. You know, we, we don't want to get in sort of an existential argument here, but it is quite worrying. It does mm. have that sort of feel about mm. it. I mean, you know... Look back to to the twenties. Uh, you know that was a boom time for America. The crash derailed that, and we had a, we had a great depression after that. Yeah, this is, I think this is a bad situation. I think it's much worse than what's going on in Greece. It feeds into this whole, whole this whole. Um, you know, is China a market economy? Is it an open economy? Well, in some respects, yes, it is, but in many profound re- respects, it still isn't. It's not a market mm. economy where you've got the government, to my mind, backstopping share prices. I mean, that's you know, that's not a market. Well, no. That's not a market. And you've got no price realisation as a result of it, which, uh, and a point that uh, I think you made earlier on to me, is that when you look at the indexes now, what are you actually looking at? What are you looking at Asian indexes? I mean, surely fund managers around the UK and elsewhere will be looking and thinking, what, what, what are we representing here? Lex did uh, a little Q&A about this earlier. And um, I mean, John Arthur's view, John Arthur's who writes for the FT and he's a very, very uh, sensible chap said, actually, this could benefit other Asian indices because, you know, they'll look at China and, and, and think, well, you know, this is this is this is uninvestable. But, mm. you know, that's not reflective of, of other Asian markets. This is a China specific problem, I, I think, is, is, is the reality. Um, but it certainly is a worry for anyone who's, who's perhaps bought a China A share ETF. Uh, even the, um, the the kind of H share, the Hong Kong listed stuff, is getting getting hit because people can still sell that. Yep. Mm. You know, so it's, and that's getting hit heavily. Um, no, I, I think it's a really bad situation, given the fact that China is such a major economic force these days. Uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, pull back from the view that we still think that the Chinese economy is likely to grow and in, in relative terms grow quite rapidly. But it is this point, again, is exactly a, a price discovery. If you're investing over there, how can you really say with any degree of surety 
that you're buying at a representative price. Yeah, well, let's go back to the you know the US in the the twenties. You know, the US is obviously the world's largest economy and has grown very significantly since then. But you know, you, that still doesn't mean there's scope for enormous hiccups along the way. I'd be very cautious of China right now. I certainly would be going, wouldn't be going bargain hunting, um, and I'd certainly wait for the fallout to uh, to, to to kind of uh, settle before looking back. I th- my my view, which we expressed a few few uh, months back in one of our earliest podcasts was that yeah china india they're the places to be but yeah this is this is reflective of the troubles you face with emerging markets and yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't be uh piling in right yeah. now I and mean, you know this fidelity china special situations which is a way that a lot of uk investors would play this has obviously suffered yeah had the investment trust there um they put out a statement saying you know they think this is an overreaction well you know it, it might be but um but yeah i i don't think that necessarily reflects the fact that there aren't further problems ahead in in, in the weeks ahead. Yeah, um, I wouldn't blame people for for thinking twice about China right now. Well, the point for is, a bit. The the point is, well, the government has tweaked um, uh, inward investment into the real estate market. There, they've uh, tweaked the level of uh, private corporate uh, borrowing. Now they're tweaking the the very market that underpins it all. And you've got to wonder what, where are we? Yeah, indeed. Well, well, we said we were going to hopefully make this a short podcast. We've just spent 15 minutes talking about China. Let's talk it's about something else. Issue. It is a very big issue. It right is now. a big issue, yeah. but let's talk about something else. Banks, in. Let's talk banks. Because the budget, we had the summer budget this week. First proper conservative budget that we've had for, for quite some time. Uh, and, and banks were right at the centre of that in terms of the bank levy. Or yeah. rather, the scrapping of the bank levy. And it was something we talked about following the Mansion House speech. Because people thought possibly in the Mansion House speech that the... George Osborne would, the Chancellor would announce precisely what he did announce this time in the budget, which was the tapering off of the bank levy. Um, and importantly, the restriction, um, I think from 2020, of it to UK balance sheets, so potentially benefiting the likes of HSBC and Standard Chartered. And it played into that whole, will they move their domicile away from the UK? So it's been seen as kind of a bit of a sop to the, the larger banks. Where to? China? <laughs> Well, <laughs> I think they might be thinking twice about that now. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly right. Um, but you know, while he kind of gave with one hand um, in terms of the levy, he took away with the other with this eight percent um, profit yep. charge, which after the corporation tax reduction is around six percent from twenty twenty. Um, and yeah, that is going to tax banks on their profits as opposed to their balance sheets because now banks are starting to actually make money again. Uh, the, the government says that it will actually be taking more money over the forecast period from banks um, as a result of these changes. Uh, but that is reliant on, firstly, its own assumptions about what those profits will be and, and some of the behaviour of the banks as well in response. But yeah, it, what's been particularly bad for uh, the smaller banks, because it's this uh, tax on profits, then any of those challenger banks... Um, have really been hit by it. One Savings Bank, Paragon, some of the specialist lenders have been hit because they've also suffered from something else that was in the budget, which was the changes to buy-to-let mortgages. Um, so this seems sort of contrary to to this wider desire and you know the stated uh, support that the, the creation of a, a more competitive banking sector. It's been talked about a lot. You know, let's let's bring more competition into market. Lots of new smaller banks. They've changed the, the way that banks are taxed or levied or whatever you want to call it, and it's worked out worse for the, the challenges. Exactly right. I think that, that's, yeah. I mean that's terrible. Yeah, it's really it runs counter probably to what the government really wanted to do. But obviously they were caught well, they, between this kind of saber rattling by the larger banks and these questions about their profitability. And I think that this obviously spooked them to some extent. I'm sorry if they wanted to support challenger banks, they wouldn't have done this. 
Exactly right, and, and there is, has been some speculation that actually they didn't th- properly think through um, the so, impact on the challenges. Sorry, they're very intelligent people. In yeah, no, service. exactly so right. Exactly right. But I, I mean, I don't uh, understand <laughs> how they could not have seen this quite obvious repercussion. Yeah, and you, you, you kind of do wonder wh- when it becomes you know more fully known um, whether there will be some kind of um, easement for the smaller banks mm. because obviously they have really suffered. Well, I guess that'll be the next budget. Possibly, possibly. I think I don't think it was particularly thought through. And a lot of people were kind of. I think it's after the first twenty-five million pounds of profit that you make, um, the That's tax not, hits you. Not a, a lot of profit. No, exactly right. You know, so even for the some of the smaller lenders, you know, they'll make a fair amount more than that. So yeah, we've seen a kind of correction in share prices as a, as a result. You talked about buy to let there. Mm. There were some other measures in the budget about buy to let. I mean, you know, I think it's clear that they are somewhat worried about the expansion of the buy to let market. So. And we know that a lot of the, the challenger banks are supporting that. Yeah. They did well from that. So, I mean, they, actually, they might have wanted to to nip them in the bud somewhat. Or to really discourage buy-to-let lending. Exactly right. But what we've had is this double whammy of that with this profit tax um, that's kind of um, conspired to really hurt the hurt the smaller banks. So mm. maybe they'll be, think, they'll be thinking again on that. It, it's, it's obviously you know, improving people's expectations around the larger banks, you know, from a stock picker's point of view. So yeah. you might see some uh, kind of changes to analyst ratings around some of the larger banks as well, they kind of digest what you know the impact the overall impact will be well we certainly have one uh, one large bank who had a, a a good week and it is our it is our good week on the seven days page but it wasn't for any particularly fundamental reason it's because they sacked their chief exec exactly right barclays um you know john mcfarlane who's been termed mac the knife um because he um did a similar job to uh, andrew moss at aviva before the big turnaround there um has been seen as instrumental in this um, it was firing of the chief executive of Barclays, Anthony Jenkins. There are a couple of other people involved. The, the deputy chair, Sir Michael Rake, seems to have, have a big part in it. Um, and there was a fallout that's been reported uh, between um, Anthony Jenkins and, and Tom King, who's the head of the investment bank, about how that is pruned. It's not quite clear because, the, you know, it's a lot of kind of off-the-record sources about how the strategy of the board is very different from what Anthony Jenkins was doing. Obviously, he didn't come from an investment banking background. He wasn't well-liked, it seems by a lot of the people you know seen as a safe pair of hands to kind of improve the image of the bank but now they want to kind of improve the return on equity um it looks like they kind of they don't think he's the man for the job or they explicitly said that they're looking for a new set of skills since he started the share price in Barclays has recovered quite strongly but not really compared to the other uh four banks i mean it's done you know from, from the date of his arrival until now it's been well underperformed lloyd's and it's yeah but lloyd's under- is different Lloyd's was a a recovery story. Can't compare it to that. Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. And you could still make the same criticism of um, RBS, you know. And I think HSBC has outperformed HSBC. HSBC probably outperformed Standard Chartered, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Yeah, and it's it's one of our tips of the year because we back the recovery story. I think this is a bad move, personally. Um, You know, I I heard um, that John McFarlane said, well, you know, Jenkins was on on the one, you know, he was the safe pair of hands. He was the, the, you know, St. Anthony, as it were. Uh, He was the complete opposite of Bob Diamond. We want someone in the middle. Yeah. But investment banking is winning here. And I I looked in, there was a story in the FT, you know, who who are the the candidates to replace him? Three of the four. Uh, named candidates for investment bankers. This is the opposite of what they said they were going to do. I mean, it's definitely the revival in the investment bank, which historically has been an incredibly strong part of Barclays in the sense that it is very powerful within the organisation. Obviously, that's where Bob Diamond, the mm. former CEO, came from. So, yeah, a lot of people are not happy about the news and think it'll be a bit of a return to kind of the resurgence of the investment bank. 
What's what's difficult to tell is actually what the new management under John McFarlane want. The difference between what they their approach to the investment bank um, and what Anthony Jenkins was doing, because obviously he was reducing the size of the investment bank. So there is some talk from analysts that they want to move it towards um, areas where there's a better return on equity relative to the amount of capital. Yeah, investment bank, but even within the investment bank, maybe uh, focusing on advisory work around M&A, things that don't take a lot of capital outlay, focusing around um, the just the, the kind of European and the New York operations, kind of aggressive pruning is how one analyst termed it. So yeah, we'll see more about that. But yeah, as a move, it does seem to be a lot about the internal politics and the resurgence of the investment bank and certain personalities within that, um, and less clear about how they're going to actually improve the strategy. I, I look at this as a power play, power struggle. And uh, yeah, Good luck with Share, that. The shares went up 6% after the announcement. I know. The shareholders are very much, yeah, on board with mm. the board. Um, yeah, plenty of drama <laughs> behind the scenes. It's, <laughs> quite, it's, it's great. John, you're a voice in the wilderness. <laughs> I, I'm happy to be a voice in the wilderness because uh, the contrarian view is often the uh, the correct view. Um, no, I, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. You know, I thought the idea around the UK banking sector was that we needed a return to kind of grassroots retail banking. Re, uh, Bartley's was going down that route, just like Lloyd has. You can't yeah. compare Barclays with Lloyd's and suggest that, that Barclays' return on capital has not been what it should be uh, against Lloyd's when, when Lloyd's is a retail banking operation. Exactly. And, well, no, that's, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense. That's the philosophical split at the moment, though, in, within UK banking, isn't it? Between the people that say that just want it restricted more to the retail banking operations and other people that say you're not going to get the adequate return on equity through those operations and there does need to be you know, some decent use of risk-weighted assets in the investment banks in certain areas and we, we know what HSBC's approach is now and I think that an aspect of this was uh, the board looking at HSBC and, and other banks and saying you know look at these wide scale strategies that they've put into place about boosting their return on equity you know the whole pivot to Asia in their case with HSBC why haven't we got something similar here because it was particularly dirty and needed a particular effort to clean it up and that's what Anthony Jenkins was brought in to do mm. you know so may, maybe maybe they're right to uh to uh, think they need to go in a different direction now. But um, I think it's been quite unceremonious. Definitely. And, um, you know, the, the fact that the dirty laundry has been done in public in, in some respects, I mean, yeah, you say it's, it's rumour and hearsay. That doesn't happen by accident. Yeah, no, it's well, it's well reported. Yeah. Uh, well, interesting. Interesting. Okay, Marks and Spencer's had some news this week. Uh, disappointing. Not surprising. Not surprising. Well, it's slightly because the last quarterly performance was an improvement and people got excited. It was a blip. They actually grew sales. It was a blip. General Merchandise Division. Indeed. Well, it looks like it, John. Uh, It's the same old story at M&S if you ignore the the blip. Um, Food sales are doing pretty well in what's a tough market for food. Yep. And general merchandise sales are going nowhere. No. Zero, just flat, absolutely flat. Uh, uh, sales the online operation improved quite a lot but that wasn't difficult because this time last year it was in chaos um you know it, it, deeply sort of you know just just a, a really rather unimpressive set of results in in general you know so when when is the general merchandise turnaround coming in they blamed it on promotional activity in may because it had been too hot or too cold or what the usual uh you know weather related 
reason, but it's, it's another ne- it's another season past. It's never really, coming. Isn't it? It's never coming. Mm. Would be my view on this. I mean, the share, the shares don't seem to care. Uh, the shares have done well. Anyway. Shares have got up twenty five percent year on year. Shares. Um, no, no, I'm not. I'm not a fan of Marks and Spencer's uh, as an investment, um, or, or really as a shopper. Quite frankly, I, like, I do like the food store. I've got to say, I've, mm. uh, I'm a bit bit of a turncoat on that one, but I think the. Um, yeah, the, well, you the know, GM I mean, business is, no. is nowhere near where it needs to be. No, that's and, a long, and, long. And Bolland has done, quite frankly, not a great deal to change that in, no. in the years he's been there. Well, Mark Bolland's a grocer. And what part of the business well, is he Ken growing? Ken Morrison wouldn't agree with that. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, the food business is what is, is where Marks and Spencer is growing. Yeah. And that's a sensible strategy, but the GM side of things... Almost, arguably, two, fast. two different businesses. Yeah. Two different businesses. yeah. yeah. Mm. Hey, maybe, maybe we'll see a little bit of a, you know, yeah, uh, strategy. Bit of, bit of a spin-off there at yeah. some point. Um, okay, uh, Rolls Royce was the other big news uh, story this week. Uh, another profit warning. Yeah, third, which is, I, I, I think this is a brilliant company, and this is struggling. Um, it's a third profit warning in eighteen months. Uh, it, uh, notably, the new chief executive Warren East. Um, although it's a bit early for a kitchen sink job, he'd only been in the job for two days, um, but he came in and and um, uh, yeah, another profit warning. Yeah, uh, but mainly, I mean, it's the it's it's the energy markets have, have sort of dragged this down. The marine division is getting hit by by pullback in 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 spending on oil projects and so forth. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Through normally we normally we say these things come in three. So had three profit warnings in eighteen months now. So maybe maybe that's Mr. It. East uh, using his uh, expertise can turn it round. Well, he's I mean he's got a, he's a good chief executive. He's got a good mm. reputation. He's built arm from he's been there for he was there for yeah. years. Oh, years yeah. and years. He built that into I mean yeah, pretty much the the chip company that powers all our mm. phones and and iPads and whatnot and you know put, yeah. the, put the wind up uh, Intel. You would back him to 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 make good of this situation here surely but the market didn't seem to agree and the shares got absolutely hammered the shares got hammered i mean one of one of the problems was that they they, they scrapped the buyback that they'd planned billion dollar billion pound buyback i think they'd, they'd managed about 500 million of it they've scrapped the rest of it so that yeah. people didn't like that it, i think it was just general sense of disappointment around trading and and that buyback but you know give mr east his chance now i mean he's, he's starting from a low base now so you never know Maybe he did kitchen sink it day mm, one. Maybe. Two days. Or two day, day two. Yeah. Day two. Right, maybe. Fair enough. Okay, yeah. So uh, not not a lot going on uh, in this quiet summer period. No, we barely talked about the budget either, but let's oh, let's leave it there. It everyone else everyone else has talked and talked and talked about the budget. It, you know, in terms of in terms of our readership, there was a there were, you know, we've we've talked about the main things that, that concerned our our readers in terms of the bank levy and the dividend uh, oh, tax change tax. I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, and quite a lot of our readers enjoyed looked at that story that we wrote about that. Um and it, yeah, it's um I mean that's because uh, you know, this affects guys, gals, ladies, gentlemen with very large portfolios. Yeah. Large income variable because the tax you basically get an allowance up to five grand. Yeah, you get a free. You get up to your first five grand in dividend income now is tax free. Yep. And then beyond that, it depends on whether you're a, low, a, a, a normal rate taxpayer or but, a higher rate taxpayer. But we know a lot of our of our readership are higher rates. Higher high rate taxpayers mm. with large portfolios, which they have set up for income generation purposes. They'll be je- definitely definitely earning more than ten five grand out yes. of their, their portfolios. They could be paying more tax on these. Yeah, their tax their tax is going to be higher. They're 32.5% for a higher rate taxpayer and 38.1% for an additional rate taxpayer yeah. on, on their on their dividends, which is which is more... Mr. Osborne was pretty clear about this. He said people with large portfolios will pay more. But, but He that's wasn't his, even trying to hide that. But that's his voting public. Mm. 
I don't get it. I yeah. mean, especially, you know, we're, we're in a, a sort of low interest rate environment. Uh, you know, you're not getting uh, particularly good rates out of banks or gilts or and, and so, you know, people have turned to equities to generate a bit of income. <laughs> you tax the buggery out of the bonnet. Yeah. I mean, this is mental. Yeah. I mean, he didn't. There was no indication of how much they expected to raise from that. But it, it, it will be significant, I would have thought. It's just going to hurt people who don't need to be. Yeah, like but you know, it, it, this is typical of of what happened in the budget. There was lots of sort of uh, little tax adjustments that were maybe not headline taxes, but things like this: the dividend tax, the insurance premium tax, which is going to they're going to raise quite a lot of money mm. this way by taxes that are not in, you know not income tax, not VAT. It's not the headline stuff, but they will raise significant amounts from these. Yeah, obviously, um, the chancellor wasn't um, frightened about. Kind of yeah, like you say, you're kind of attacking his base for some of the policies. The dividend no. tax, the buy to let, obviously, you know, there'll be a lot of his voters be active in that market. Yeah, you know, well, it's four years away from the next election, so it doesn't really yeah. mind, does it? But I, I, I got the ground on a couple of the. I got, I got the sense that this was a budget designed to stick two fingers up at Labour because a lot of the mm. kind of yeah minimum wage policies or living wage or whatever mm. you want to call it, you know, they, they 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 really were you know pouring water on some of the uh, the, the policies that, that Labour had, uh, had had campaigned on and um, absolutely it's a know. bit of a land grab really yeah I thought it was a land grab well I mean it was balancing out the hit on the on the working mm. in work credits wasn't yeah. it? you know it's yeah. to to kind of cut their legs from under them so they can't criticise the, the policies yeah uh, the other policies you know yeah yes. so there you go mm. so uh, yeah an interesting budget. Yeah, and I mean, the pensions, everyone was expecting high rate pension um, uh, relief to be scrapped, but it hasn't been yet. But he did also signal, and this will affect a lot of our readers as well, he did also signal that that there's a a consultation into the way pensions tax is uh, is carried out. And there was even talk about scrapping pensions tax relief altogether and introducing pensions in sort of ISA type form. I think that, you know, for a long time, the way the regulation's moving, you know, pension is just becoming ever more like an ISA. Mm. You know, and it almost seems like an inevitable, whether that's a good thing or not in terms of people's retirement security, you could argue not. Um, We're definitely going that way where pensions just... You know, I, I could imagine before too long you'd be able to take money out of your pension in the same way as you can out of your ISA. And spend it on ice cream. <laughs> spend it in Marks and Spencer. <laughs> on some clothes. Okay, uh, enough about pensions. Let's talk BP because uh, it could all be over. It could all be over. The Macondo could finally be coming to an end. Yeah, it pretty much is. Looking at this settlement, which is about $18.7 billion. Um, and uh, when you look at it, uh, you would think this has pretty much drawn a line under it. Although I, I was trying to work out exactly what's left, what's potentially left, and I came up to the figure about two point five billion. Small change. It is small change, but this is um, you know business liabilities and uh, insurance companies and banks that might end up uh, suing BP for the. Um, uh, Barack Obama's uh, moratorium on deepwater drilling in the Gulf of Mexico, which is uh, p- potentially hurt revenue streams down there, but I that's mean, absurd. Well, I don't know. Um, you know, this is this is America we're talking about here. So there's, <laughs> okay. there's there's bound to be some out of court settlements as well. But for the for the bulk of it, it seems like they know the contingent liabilities are likely to be. Um, and I think the main point to come out of this as well. It's a bit of a fudge, as we always thought it may be, is that uh, the courts have given uh, BP around 18 years to, um, you know, to repay all this money. Uh, the details aren't clear at the moment. So and I, th- I think you say in the piece that you can, uh, a lot of it's going to go basically be written off in tax. Yeah, over, over the course of those 18 years, 
a large chunk of that will be written off in tax as well. And, and in a way, it's it's hardly surprising because uh, British Petroleum, about 40% of its uh, shareholder base is uh, domiciled in the U.S. as well. Okay. So it's, it's not surprising that... Uh, the U.S. government, uh, well, the U.S. courts, and they work, do work independently, of course, but it's hardly surprising that they've taken a, a conciliatory uh, line at the end there. This is still, um, this agreement is still subject to some court oversight in the U.S. as well, but, you know, we, we think this is a, it's a done deal. Uh, of course, it brings up the, um, what, what, what next for BP? What next for BP? Well, there's some uh, speculation in the lead-up to this um to this settlement, which took everyone by surprise a little bit, that uh, eventually it might become um, a takeover target. Although, for who? I, I'm just all trying to work this out. Which other oil companies throughout the world has got the requisite financial clout? Indeed, and I think you mentioned there's a bit of a poison pill in there as well, which well, is the uh, Rosneft tank. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they can really touch them at the moment, uh, moment because of the, uh, the the sanctions against Russia at the moment. They've got 20% of Rosneft and uh, and in fact, there are, both BP and Shell are increasing their exposure to Russian markets as well. Yeah. So um, they're paying a whole lot of no notice to uh, to Washington. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I guess it, it's a good result uh, for shareholders there. The only thing I'd be looking at in the upcoming results season is to see if they're going to take any impairments on the, uh, the Rosneft uh, stake. I think the last time that we covered the results, uh, the, the sanctions were only applying to individuals in Russia. But in the in the subsequent period, uh, it might impinge upon their 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 revenue streams from Rosneft. But we, we'll wait and see. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Unfortunately, this week, uh, Daniel uh, Liberto, who wrote the cover feature, is not around. He's, uh, he's on holiday this week. So uh, we're not going to be able to talk about that. What Daniel's done this week is um, he's really tried to look past the Greek troubles to, uh, to some companies uh, that, that have exposed to Europe, uh, particularly in the industrial sector. Um, and we've also actually uh, canvassed a number of uh, European fund managers to, uh, to really get their views on Greece. I think, I mean, generally speaking, the upshot is, is that, you know, we uh, are not too worried uh, about the uh, knock-on effects, the contagion uh, that the Greek crisis will have. And actually, you know, as we said earlier, it's sort of starting to look a little bit, uh, a little bit more, um, more, more stable than it has for a while. Um, John Barron, who also publishes his latest investment trust portfolio in this week's mag- magazine, um, pretty much shares that view. Um, he's actually talking about European Assets Trust this week, which he likes. Um, Obviously, there's plenty more in the magazine in terms of uh, the budget that we talked about. Uh, lots of personal finance content. I'm sure that will be discussed uh, tomorrow when they record their podcast. Um, only a few results this week. It's sort of settling down to that quiet season here, isn't it? Not? Yeah, yeah, it's just it's a reasonably quiet week this week. Quite interesting ones, though. Pinewood, not microfocus. Some good little stories there. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Nice ones. Um, obviously, the usual uh, tips, comment, including Mark's... Uh, Wonderful new commodities column, which oh, I think yeah. is, is becoming a central reading in the uh, the commodities sphere. The rapidly shrinking commodities sphere, as to yes. be said. <laughs> yes, I can say goodbye to all our readers now. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Um, but uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, an interesting week. Um, really, you know, a lot to get our head around. It's it's quite it's quite phenomenal the uh, the shenanigans going on um, in China. I mean, we thought Greece was bad. Um, this has been this has been extraordinary. Um, so anyway, um, I urge you to uh, obviously pick up the magazine, four pound fifty in all good news agents. Plenty more online if you want to check that out. We've got a new iPad edition coming soon, haven't we, uh, Graham and Dom? You're busy working on that, haven't you? 
Yeah, we have a very exciting uh, new iPad app uh, to present the, the weekly magazine uh, through, and it should be uh, available to readers hopefully um, next week. Next week, it may be. Wow, readers will hear about hear from us very shortly about this one. Okay, good. W- wonderbar. Wonderbar. Mm. Wonderbar. Wonderbar. Well, how do you say wonderful in Greek, Robert? You know these sort of things. Efkalisto, um, but that's thank you. Uh, that okay. <laughs> that's it. Okay, thank you very much, and uh, uh, we'll catch up again next week. Thank you.